So I was thinking, maybe next week we just have like a basketball tournament for church. We'll just do basketball church. Remember baseball church? We'll just do basketball church. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be WrestleMania. It's going to be all kinds of things. Uh, so, yeah, come at your own risk next week to church. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here, and um, very excited to be with you, especially after our hiatus last week. Um, the snow was fun until it wasn't. You may have felt that same way. Okay, but so what we're doing is we were supposed to finish this last week, uh, but we are going to be jumping into the book of Matthew. But before we do, starting next week for the remainder of the semester, uh, we're going to spend one more week on how do we change? Because, and essentially, what we're trying to do in these three weeks is prepare ourselves to follow Jesus through the gospel of Matthew for the rest of the semester. So what we've said in the past two weeks is that we change, because we are built for relationship, we change via relationship, through relationship. The primary relationship that we were made for is a relationship with God, and that relationship has been restored through the person and the work of Jesus. Secondly, we are restored to be rightly related to other people. We're made for relationship with God. We're made for relationship with others. And so two weeks ago, uh, now we said that the, the church then is the safe place that we get to bump up against each other and learn more and more how to love in a space that, Lord willing, and we continue to cultivate uh, as one that is both challenging and also safe and secure. Uh, and so this week, we are now focusing on most of our life, though, is not spent just with me and the Lord in a quiet place, and is not only spent in and around church people, it's spent out there. And so how are we shaped, how are we supposed to think about how we are to spend all of our days? Most of our waking hours are spent out there. Sometimes there may be other church people involved in those things. Maybe you work with someone. Maybe there's a small group involvement. But the majority of your time is spent with a whole variety of people. How does the Lord want to shape you through relationship with him and through relationship with his church to engage in this world around us? Now, if you're like me, when I hear life is about relationship, I immediately sort of deflate because I like to get stuff done. And so when I think about ministry naturally, I can think, get out of my way, people, I got ministry to do. But that's sort of, you know, obviously an oxymoron because the people are the ministry. But there's so many times that I can get stuck in that projects over people kind of space. And that will make me grumpy, that will make me not soft, that will make me not flexible, or maybe on the other side, you, you may be very relationally driven, uh, but to you, it may be more difficult to engage with God, and instead, other people can become your God. So whichever side of the spectrum you may sway towards, Jesus is inviting us to change with him, to be in healthy relationship with him and healthy relationship with this world around us. So here's what we're going to do. 
uh, we've been framing this, this series around Peter's call from Jesus in Matthew 4, uh, and then finding other snippets of Peter's life where he sort of fumbles his way forward, uh, like many of us do, and Jesus loves him as he grows him. Uh, so we're going to look at, again, Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20, and then Acts 11, 1 through 18. And I'm not sure who's reading today. Yay! All right, come on up. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Suzanne Williams, everybody. Thank you, Suzanne. Okay, so... I think Jesus is probably saying more than this, but he's at least saying these three things when uh, he uses this metaphor for follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's saying at least something about fish, something about himself, and something about fishermen. So that's going to be our three points, and you can follow along while I hopefully connect this analogy. Okay. Uh, First, something about the fish. 
David Foster Wallace, who's an author and thinker, um, he's now deceased, but in 2005, he had a, a sort of a viral commencement a speech at this college called Kenyon College, and he opened with this story. He said, there are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a little bit, and then eventually one of them looks over to the other and goes, what the heck is water? He goes on to describe what he means by this by saying, he says, a huge percentage of the stuff that I tend to be automatically certain of, as it turns out, is wrong and deluded. What maybe Jesus is saying when he uses this analogy of to be a fisher of men, what is he drawing about fish that may be true? Uh, Richard Baxter says in his book, it was an old Puritan book called The Art of Man Fishing. What a name. <laughs> he says this. Uh, he says, because as the water is the natural element of fish, so sin is the proper and natural element for an unconverted soul. Take the fish out of the water and it cannot live. And take from a natural man his idols. He is ready to say with Micah, you have taken away my gods. What have I left? We naturally are born into a world that streams are floating away from God, not towards him. We are naturally born with a heart, with a stream that naturally flows away from God, not towards him. And so maybe what Jesus is saying is something along the lines of, as fish, we are naturally born into this world just sort of going with the flow. We're going with the flow of our culture. And we swim in this culture of selfishness and hatred and vanity and greed. And in many and most moments, we don't even realize that it's so destructive. We don't realize that we're actually dealing with things of death, not life. But we're so blind with our natural eyes to that reality. We just keep trying the same things that everyone else is trying. We read the books and we do the exercises and we just try our best to get along in this world. And yet when I come to a passage like this that says I'm supposed to care about somebody other than myself, I can barely get through a day feeling cared for myself. How in the world am I supposed to care for anybody else? What Jesus might be saying is like fish, mankind is naturally lost. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 says it like this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Going along with the flow of our culture and of this world naturally will not lead us to healthy places. It will lead us away from healthy places. It will not lead us towards relationship with God and people. It will lead us ultimately to places of isolation and death.
So the story that we jump into here uh, with Peter is in the book of Acts. This is in Acts 11, which is after, after Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, disciples get sent out everywhere, the message of Jesus has started to spread and grow, and he encounters this man, Cornelius, who has had this crazy vision. And Peter himself has had this crazy vision in the same way. Cornelius, a chapter before, is uh, encountered by an angel. Cornelius is a Roman soldier. He, it says that he's a God-fearer, that he's heard about this Jewish God, about Yahweh, that he even prays and gives alms, meaning he's, he's generous, he's thoughtful about the things of God, he's doing his best to sort of live in the way that he sees these Jewish people living. He's curious, he's interested, but he's not saved. He's not yet converted. He's not yet fully understanding what he is getting into. But he knows that something is wrong with him. He seems to have at least acknowledged that the stream of life, this Roman way of life that I've been living is not leading me towards healthy places but away. And so he does what every one of us naturally do when we get to those places in our lives. Well, I got to work for it. I got to like, I got to read the right book and I got to do the right regimen and I got to figure this thing out. I got to, I got to recreate my schedule. I got to eat healthy. I got to do all those things. And then maybe if I clean up my act enough, then if there is a God out there, then maybe he'll be pleased with me. Every one of us naturally is so good at works righteousness. Every one of us is so good at making and trying to make the things that we do be what will please God, whoever we believe this God to be. It's the foundation of every world religion except for Christianity. And so Cornelius encounters this angel who is sent to knock on his door and say, hey, I need you to go see this guy, Peter. He has a message for you. I see that you're hungry. I see that you're searching. I see that you have questions, and I want to answer them. And so he sends Cornelius to Peter. And the question when we think about if we are naturally floating the way of the culture, floating the way of our hearts, then what that is going to lead us to is to believe that it is what I do that will justify me before God, in the same way that Cornelius was believing that. Cornelius's temptation is our temptation too. Are you, am I, trusting in my religious duty to be that which will save me? Am I hoping that I can work my way this morning into God's favor, maybe even by being in this room, maybe by putting a smile on your face and doing your best to get through this morning? What God wanted to tell Cornelius is the same thing that God also wanted to show Peter even as he was preaching it. Jesus is saying, don't trust your instincts here. Your instincts that you can work your way into God's favor are wrong and off and will never get you anywhere. All of that desire that you have inside you is good. That longing you have inside you to be rightly, rightly related to your creator is a good thing. 
but the way that you're going about it is wrong. Only Christianity has a different answer than work your way in. So it says something about the fish. Secondly, I think this says something about Jesus himself. Uh, I'm just getting into fly fishing. I'm not very good at it yet. Uh, I have not caught a trout to date. Uh, I bought a rod about a year ago, been fishing a couple of times, caught some other fish, but have not caught a trout yet. Um, What I'm learning, though, is that that's sort of how this goes. And that particularly trout, as a fish, are, they're spooky, they're skittish, they, they only like things to be just a certain way. They like to eat certain things at certain times in a certain water temperature, floating a certain direction, and only then will they bite. So I was talking to Dave Burden about this, uh, and he was telling me that the key, he's a much more experienced fisherman than me, and he said the key is you've got to get a guy who can show you all of those things. Because even every stream is different. Every every type of trout is different. Every season is different. And so you really need somebody who can guide you and show you the way that this particular fish likes to eat. And if you remember, when Peter meets Jesus, here, when Jesus walks up on him, what's Peter doing? He's fishing. What has Peter been doing for the entire night prior? Fishing. How many fish had Jesus, or sorry, how many fish had Peter caught that evening? Zero. And then all Jesus has to do is say, why don't you try that spot? And the fish practically jump in the boat. I think there may be some connection here. Because Ephesians 2 goes on to say, You were dead, verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. While we were dead, Jesus died for us. By grace you have been saved. The power of Jesus is the point of that story. Jesus speaks and lives change. It is not our working our way into a relationship with God. It is Jesus saying, mine. And that is what changes your heart. That's what has changed my heart. And that's what continues to soften us over the course of time as we walk with Jesus. How is Cornelius converted here? He goes, he journeys to Peter's house, knocks on Peter's door, uh, Peter also has had a similar vision, and that has got him anticipating that there might be something about to happen here that the Lord's doing. Cornelius knocks on his door and says, I think you have something to tell me. And Peter says, yeah, I actually think I do. And this is the way that Peter describes it in Acts 11. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell. Not he began to get it, he put two and two together, he finally had the right information, 
He finally had the, the seminar from Peter that he had been waiting on. No, the Holy Spirit fell. The same Spirit through whom that power is what rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that now speaks into Cornelius' heart and says, wake up. You have been swimming and trying to form this relationship with God, but you've been going about it the wrong way. And naturally, every one of us will do the exact same thing until the Holy Spirit speaks. I would love this morning to hear every story in this room of how the power of God has fallen on you and changed your life. And I'm sure if we opened up the floor this morning, we could have story after story after story after story about that. I also know that if that's the way that God has been before and the way that he's operated before, it is also the same way that he could operate this morning. And that he undoubtedly is operating this morning. Holy Spirit, fall now. Holy Spirit, change people now. Holy Spirit, change, change me now. How might the Holy Spirit right now be calling you from death to life? Maybe for the first time but maybe for the 101st time. Maybe in what ways have you been slipping back into the stream, into the culture, into the ordinary ways of doing things, into the belief that God only loves me because of what I do, into all of the places of unbelief that we naturally will sway to. And how might the Holy Spirit this morning be calling you again? Wake up. God's love is drastically different. It comes to you. It does not wait for you to come to him. So it says something about the fish. It says something about himself. Jesus says something about himself. <clears throat> and finally, this says something about the fishermen. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And as, as Jesus approaches Peter, as he calls him in Matthew 4, he is a fisherman by vocation. This is his occupation. This is how he pays his bills. And so he meets him and uses language that he would understand, be very, uh, very closely related to. And he says, I want you to be a fisher of men, and I want you to leave your other vocation and follow me. Jesus would later go on to say, in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples. And so what we know is that that was not only a job for those 12 disciples, but that is a job that has now been handed over to all who would follow Jesus. Following on, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 7. So remember, we were dead. God made us alive in Christ. Why? Here's the why, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Meaning, we are his trophies of grace. The work that God has done in you is not only meant to be for you. It is. But it is also meant to be for others through you. Those places of brokenness, those stories of your past, 
that you would rather not anyone ever know about. Those could be the very vehicles that might connect with someone else's brokenness, someone else's story, someone else in their time of need, that God can minister to someone else in a unique way that only you could be the person that could speak those words of life to them because of the story that you've had yourself. Trophies of his grace, jars of clay, salt, light, all of these images are these images of God using us. They are not our power, but it is God's power through us in every one of these analogies that Jesus uses. Every part of our lives are now opportunities for us to show and tell the grace of Jesus to others. Now, this may mean that you have to leave your job to do this. Some do. Maybe that's a worthwhile call to say this morning. Is there anyone who might feel called to leave their occupation and follow as a disciple of Jesus onto the mission field, into the pastoral vocation, or whatever else uh, you may be called into? But most of the time, all of our, all of our vocations are callings. All of the places where God calls us into in carpentry, in tree service, in business, as a CEO, in whatever place you find yourself, whether it be Vandy uh, or whether it be at the sit go down the road, every person has a calling. And every person can use that calling and that vocation to portray the grace of Jesus wherever you are. And really the great thing, what's hard about being a pastor is I spend a lot of my life around other church people. All of you that are involved in all these different jobs across this city have unique opportunities to interact with people that I never will and that I'm not supposed to. But you are. And I will only interact with some people that only I'm supposed to. But just like Cornelius, God is calling people to be put in your way. And our role is just to be receptive to that call. But the best thing about Peter as he walks this life of becoming a fisher of men is that he still doesn't get it the majority of the time. And that's the most comforting thing to me about this whole thing is that if it were up to me getting it, then none of you would be here. Uh, this church would have blown up way before me, but thanks be to God that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that continues to work in this place uh, and bring you back every week and bring you into each other's lives uh, more and more deeply. But Peter fumbles, Jesus restores, and then we grow. That is the Christian life. We fumble, Jesus restores, and then we grow. And so he has this crazy vision of a sheet full of non-kosher animals coming down out of, heaven, out of heaven. And he hears a voice saying, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, no, I, I, nothing common has ever touched my palate. Now, here's what's going on here. Very quickly. Uh, the Jewish dietary laws had been given to Israel to be sort of a metaphor a metaphor for how holy and clean God is and how naturally unclean people are and just how clean and holy you must be to approach this God. 
but they were never meant to restrict God's love and in some way create this special people that nobody else could get in. But over time, it became a means of pride where it was, we are the chosen people of God. No one else can be in this special club that we are in. God has chosen us, forgetting that all the way back to Abraham, all the nations are meant to be blessed through God's chosen people. And so he sends Cornelius, who is a non-Jew, to Peter right after he has this crazy vision about all of the unclean things and the clean things of this world coming together. All the boundary lines between Jew and Gentile being broken. Peter had misunderstood this part of the gospel. He thought that it was only for the Jewish race. And God was coming to remind him that every tribe, every tongue, every people is meant to be recipients of God's grace. Peter, do you know that? And then he gives him the opportunity to preach that gospel of grace to Cornelius. But the best part about the story is that Jesus doesn't DQ Peter for his prejudice. Instead, he teaches him through it. And now, on this mission of God loving people to himself through us, we are going to fail, especially as it relates to loving people that are different than us. God is, I'm sure, already putting you in contact with all sorts of people in your job, in your family, around your neighborhood that are hard to love. Those are his gift to you. And so, whoever that person might be, it is an opportunity for each of us to say, oh, that's right, I am also the other. Jesus was the one who stepped down from heaven to earth to become like me, a human. He's the other. He is totally high and lifted up way above me, and yet he brought himself down in humility to love me, to stoop down low and pull me close. Oh, I was hard to love. I was the one who was going the other direction, and Jesus pursued me all the way to his death to pull me back. That's the story of grace that each of us is invited into, and that's the story that we also now have an opportunity to live with other people as God loves other people through us. So, Essentially, what we're talking about this morning, if I had to put it to one word, would be the work of evangelism. And that word may spark all kinds of heckles in you. And it may bring all kinds of things to your mind about sales pitches on napkins and picket signs and door knockers and little name tags and all those things. That's not it. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. But if, if we take Jesus at what seems to be his metaphor here, he's saying, your job is just to follow me. I, I'm going to do the work. I'm the fishing guide. You follow me. I'm going to pull the fish in the boat. You just be receptive and willing and open that when somebody cross your, crosses your path that the Lord might be doing something in, that you might step into a relationship with them. His is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory, not us. But would we be a people that are open and receptive even to the hardest to love people in our lives? That those might be the very people that God wants to do a great work of grace in. We don't know. 
but that's the work he's done in us. When we were the unlikelies, when we were the others, when we were hard to love, and that's the work that he invites us into. Every day, in every space, wherever he may call you as you go back out those doors, that is an opportunity to be a fisher of men. And by the way, fisher of men, that word is like the broad category of mankind. That is not only a masculine term, it is non-gender specific. It is saying all people, all kinds of people is who Jesus has called to himself. Who might he be sending in your boat today? So here's what we're going to do. I'm I'm just going to show you two examples of ways that fishing are happening right now. Uh, The first one of those is with our Napier congregation that is just recently a worshiping congregation of Midtown, and I wanted to give you an update from what they did in, uh, in December with all of the stockings that you gave. Here's that update. 